0: Hola socios, hola equipo, my name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Nurnberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Moray Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh, Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I am a socio of The Big Interview. Hi, my name's Neil. I'm a socio of The Big Interview from Moray Field near Brisbane in Queensland. My favourite episode of the last season was the one with Sir Les Ferdinand. I never realised that he'd actually played in Turkey at the start of his career. Every time I listen to an episode, I always learn something new. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Socios, you know this voice already, you know who it is. But do you know why you're hearing me? And not Martin Gregg or Neil White? Well, do you recognise this sound? that. What about this? One more time. Yes, yes, even though they love you too, our wonderful producers have gone on a golfing holiday, left me here alone for the question and answer with our socios. So welcome to this um, Q&A on the big interview. Some of the questions come from our terrific sponsors at Bet365 who've been nothing but supportive and interested and also ping in some very testing questions too. You can become, if you're listening to this for the first time or if you've got somebody you think will enjoy joining in, send them to patreon.com forward slash graham hunter you can catch up at that site um, with previous content you can sign up to access extra big interviews and other exclusive content including the audio versions of my columns for espn fc now we begin with an audio question from one of our socios robin hinson who's living in budapest robin one day when we speak face to face hmm, i'll tell you about the most outrageous escapade I had in Budapest I think it was in Buda rather than Pest Hi Graham it's uh, Robin here, socio living in Budapest Um, I was wondering your thoughts on Phil Foden and uh, his development Uh, obviously working under Guardiola has been fantastic for Sterling so it makes sense to me that he would stick around but how long does he wait before uh, he needs to be playing first team football a little bit more regularly thank you very much, keep doing what you do let me base my reply upon this robin first of all i wholly agree that the way in which raheem sterling has been taught changed over and above the fact that he was intrinsically an extremely good footballer an outrageous athlete fantastically um quick and durable and agile His basic football skills, I think, were apparent from years before. The first time I heard of him when he was 15, 16, and Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool, then the manager, included him um, in the squad to go on a European uh, trip with the Reds. And the name Raheem Sterling stuck in my brain from then because just as Ansu Fati is coming through now, the idea that a massively resourced club like Liverpool could take Raheem Sterling, age 15 or 16, on a European um, adventure immediately arrested my attention because I do remember very, very well the whispers before Michael Owen came through, the way in which he was talked about when he was 14 or 15, and we were warned, I was working in Fleet Street then, and we were warned there's a phenomenon coming and it proved to be true. Um, Raheem's development, though, is undoubtedly, as you put forward, Robin, to do with the way in which number one, Pip Guardiola, has seen the right way to make the best of him which is individual tuition about uh, body shape when taking the ball when to dribble when to run simple things like that and then more complicated things about educating about when to come inside to let his fullback overlap and I think more recently say over the last year uh, and a very explicit demand from Guardiola and Arteta that Sterling must attack the goal. Instead of following his natural instinct, one which is extraordinarily valuable in football, as you all know, to think about the team, think about the best solution, think about, can I supply somebody with an assist? Particularly if you're a a player who can break into space, who can shatter defensive lines, scare defenders, make them move into positions that are ultra-conservative, that they don't want to be in, but they think protects them themselves... Sterling had this aptitude for looking for a ball for a teammate and he's been told, think about the goal. Because if you score the goal, if the ball's in the net, the effect is just the same and you're putting yourself in positions whereby you need to override your natural instinct. And I think remarkable is the right word. But maybe I've I've <laughs> eulogised Raheem Sterling for long enough but he's there not only because, Robin, you mentioned him, but because I think he's a reasonable <clears throat> yardstick for Phil Foden in that when Guardiola arrived, Sterling had been purchased, he was high profile, he'd cost a lot. And while Guardiola wouldn't have kept him in the team simply for that, there was no um, possibility of, of treating the process the same way as Foden's has being treated. And Foden's difficulties, I think, will include the fact that um, although Guardiola is renowned for a particular philosophy, a particular playing style, a way of using the ball, a way of making his players take up specific positions over and over again, the end goal is winning. Um, <laughs> it's something that I... Uh, yeah. I don't know, did I learn to my uh, detriment? I'm not sure, but in 2009, I had an interview in Guardiola's office um, prior to the Champions League final in Rome. And at that stage, maybe he was just happier to to play along with a theme. But he, he spoke pretty passionately about the financial crisis, the fact that he had several friends who were out of work or struggling to pay their mortgage. And to sort of, quote, if... If my team's football, if the way we play makes people happy, gives them a lift in their lives, then that's part of my role fulfilled. It it, it gives me satisfaction. Two years later, when Barca had qualified for the Champions League at Wembley to play Manchester United again, we had a a second uh, date in Guardiola's office out um, in San... San... San Just anyway it's out near the airport and um San Juan de Spi and uh, because it was Ferguson again and because it was beginning to feel like me as if it might be Alex Ferguson's last tilt at a Champions League final I talked about them sharing a cavalier attitude to the way that football should be played that there was a, that there was an extra value in being committed to daring and to attack and, and Guardiola pretty much stopped me in my tracks. And irrespective of him having said something similar two years before, no, we only play this way to win. So, look, Rob, my point is you can extrapolate from that something about where Guardiola thinks Foden is at in terms of contributing to constantly winning compared to his quote in the summer about saying Phil Foden is... What did he actually say? The most talented player I've ever worked with? I think that remark obviously hasn't helped people's impatience because, like just about everybody else who values emerging talent because it refreshes and, in my case, inspires all of us. Maybe people think that's a soppy word, but I don't. I, I find it renewing, I find it uplifting, I find it exciting. When we see new talent at all levels emerging, it doesn't have to be a potential superstar like Ansu Fati at 16 at Barcelona. It doesn't have to be that for my taste. I just like watching things that remind me of the late 1960s or early 70s when I began to see footballers and think, wow, they're different, they're special, that inspires me, that's caught my attention. I love to feel that, that, um, that pendulum swinging back and forth and back and forth. In a metronomic way, and mm-hmm. Phil Foden is somebody that I can't wait to see proving to us the things that we suspect he's got because we don't get to watch training, um, we take glimpse glimpses where we can, we take uh, we use a thermometer to gauge what other people who do see training will tell us, often off the record. But it's my opinion that to think. Two, three things can be said about Guardiola and Foden, and I'm certain I'll be right. One, when um, when Arsenal played uh, Barcelona and, and Guardiola was the coach, there was an English press pack over, and they asked about Grealish. This was as he was breaking through in Foden style, and Guardiola said, yeah, "Look, we've got four or five like him in La Masia and our And at the time, the the, the Fleet Street pack thought that this was a put-down, thought it was rude, thought, no way can this be right. And an example would be that Sergio Roberto has gone on to have a much better career than um, Jack Wilshere. I don't think that Guardiola in any way meant it as a a put-down for Wilshere. I think that what he firmly believes is that it takes time for young players of ability, and I think in my mind, particularly in midfield, his view is that they they need to mature, they need to be taught, and that his emphasis on the vital nature of the traffic control in midfield and, and the way in which use of the ball in midfield can help control or arreglar or, is the Spanish word, what do I mean? Uh, put right any any gaps in positional play. Look at the way in which um, Guardiola absolutely thoroughly relied on Philip Lamb to move and Alaba, but Philip Lamb particularly to move from fullback into midfield while he was at Bayern Munich. And Foden, in my opinion, hasn't been well served by Guardiola saying that phrase, which I think had a basis in Foden's natural talent, and it meant that everybody who heard the phrase went, Well, God. Does he really think that Foden's better than Messi? That that obviously was one of the conclusions that people took. And secondly, well, Pep, if he's that good, put him in the team right now. The second thing to learn then about Foden is that Pep Guardiola doesn't coach at Manchester City for records, for um, point tallies, goals scored. He, he's there to win. And I think that particularly with... Um, The amount of faith he puts in Fernandinho, in Gundogan, in uh, the two Silvas and De Bruyne, I think Foden's task is very, very hard. I would say that from what I've seen, Foden has merited more game time. Pep, it's beginning to appear, may know better. And I, to put it brutally, and and Guardiola can't come out and say this, I think he thinks that Foden's at a stage in his development whereby... The power and the pace of the Premier League in particular is something that he's determined to cope with using his existing resources. That's my impression. And just there is no doubt about it that while this season may be the breakthrough months for Foden, in fact, unless there's a major setback, I still expect them to be. Guardiola is obviously at a point where he just wants to win and win and win and win and win. Several things have gotten Foden's way this season, including the injuries, to two uh, centre-backs, which has definitely made City more vulnerable. Um, Not (laughs) short of an eight-goal win um, against Watford, but more vulnerable. And therefore, I think Guardiola is going to look for more defence protection in central midfield, I think. Garcia is probably going to take a step forward out of necessity at centre-back. And whether he sees a spine of a team with uh, Garcia and Foden, I have my doubts. And the third thing I want to say in response to you, Robin, is that I think that what's happening right now is is that Foden is being taught. I think that Sterling did his um, evolution in a hothouse manner because it was in front of the cameras with Pep persistently nagging at him, telling him <laughs> off, redirecting him, all that kind of stuff that we witnessed as Sterling became a genuinely extraordinary footballer. And Foden is is having that done to him in private. And I think that when we see Foden finally establishing himself, I think he's going to be a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. I think that he will have been asked to be um, tougher. Upper half of his torso maybe more, a little bit more muscular, I think. Although Guardiola always puts brains and talent ahead of that. (laughs) It's a reality in the uh, Premier League, an increasing reality in the Champions League. But I think that we'll see a Foden who has been masterclassed and has been taught. And so long as he manages to contain his frustration, which must be there, it's about showing and training. I don't know the the one thing, all of this I'm, I'm explaining with a, a firm degree of having been guided by people who are close to the subject. People who um, can speak to Guardiola off the record, who can watch training who can hear from Bigger and Arteta. And therefore, I'm confident on what I've said so far. What I don't know, genuinely have no idea, is is what Guardiola and Foden think of each other as people. And that can always get in the way of a coach-player relationship. And I'd love to know that, for sure, but I don't. So let's hope that um, Foden and Guardiola get on and there's mutual respect. And that um, this fabulous, visionary midfielder who's got a goal in him as he showed when Spurs so dramatically knocked uh, City out of the Champions League and then Pep in training over the next 48 hours watched Foden really closely and said he's he's one of the ones who isn't affected he looks ready he'll play on Saturday when Spurs came to town 1-0 Foden winner look Robin forgive me if that's seemed too long or too wordy but I'm sincere in what I'm trying to explain and hopefully it's got to the meat of your question by the way, enjoy life in Hungary. A little bit jealous. So today, our second question comes from our exemplary sponsors at Bet365. They're good people. Um, I enjoy their company. And they want to know, is it possible that a side outside the big three, and by the big three, I obviously take it that they mean Leganes, Cadiz. No, okay. The big three to them obviously means Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atleti. And they say, could a team outside the big three win La Liga this season? It's a beautiful question. It's one which has occupied a lot of minds of the ex-players, journalists, analysts here in Spain during this really uh, topsy-turvy and often, in my mind, thrilling uh, beginning to the season. I think that um, during the preseason, looking at the signings, looking at the way they were playing... And then how they started the season. I thought Atleti had a, a, a decent percentage chance. Some of the staff at the club and some of the players have gone the course before. I think that they acutely needed to renew. I, I had no doubt in my mind that Diego Godin's time at Atleti had come and gone. I um, I enjoy watching Joe Felix. I've cautioned that at his age... And the way in which players get after him and referees, I think, aren't quite yet strong enough in protecting him. I think jo Felix has got the ability over the months to open games up that will crucially take Atleti from defeats to draws and draws to wins. Um, Diego Costa, to me, is an anomaly. At his age, his size, I didn't expect him to be a potential force, but the preseason looked good post you know, once the season started, less so. Marata, you all know how big a fan of Alvaro Marata I am. But across the board, the Trippier service, um, Jimenez growing up, Oblak being retained, the possibility of seeing Saul and Koke back in the midfield positions that they should be in. All of these things made me optimistic about Leti. And Ramadan and Barcelona aren't the subject here. So let's just say that they're both in a in a state of transition. Sometimes that's going to be traumatic. And um, automatically, you'd be looking at um, Valencia and Sevilla based on recent uh, records. But Valencia's trauma has increased gigantically by the way in which Peter Lim has seen fit to get rid of Marcelino. In my book, a huge mistake, but an owner is always entitled to make executive decisions, however controversial they are, however little we agree with them. And I'm trying to use horse sense rather than knee-jerk criticism of the owner because if he feels that he and Marcelino and Marcelino's director of football has subsequently left and Matteo Aleman, who was the general manager, the managing director who I think had put a lot of the elements in place for this recent rebuild of Valencia... Those three men, two have gone at the time of recording. I think Matteo Aleman will go too. And I think it's needless uh, upheaval. I think Marcelino is, is probably just... He's behind Pep Guardiola in terms of pure ability, but I think he's probably the second most impressive, consistent, forceful Spanish coach in action today. Certainly in Europe, Rafa Benitez has gone to China marcino has gone. And I I look at the fact that Rodrigo nearly left at the end of the season, uh, at the end of the transfer market, pardon me, has stayed. But if I'm honest, Salades and that squad, uh, with the players in the knowledge that one of the reasons that Salades has been brought in so that more youth players can be brought in to the team such that some of the stars can be sold either in winter or next summer, and that maybe some of the super kids, Kang in Lee. Uh, Soler, uh, Ferran Torres, Gaia even. Some of them will need to be sold. And and this is an on-the-record position from Valencia because of their debt. They've made a business plan. They've talked about how they need to qualify for the Champions League every year and sell some of the stars who get them there. They're not champions. Sevilla was, was a very trendy bet at the beginning of the season. In La Liga television studios, I sat with several ex-pros who were glowing about Sevilla. And while I wasn't then and I'm now critical of their analysis of the way in which Lopetegui has got them pressing high, squeezing the space between the lines. All of that is fine. They haven't got, I'm not wholly convinced they've got a top four um, side, never mind a title winning side. People say, oh, well, look how well they've spent. Look how impressive uh, Diego Carlos is. Look how impressive uh, Fernando is. I kind of feel blah, blah, blah. And um, there's less craft, and while I'm not being romantic and wishing that Busan Bañeda and Sarabia were still there, they haven't replaced their wit. That Sevilla team last season maybe needed the extra dose of speed and heightened power which monchi has injected via his pretty massive uh, transfer market work okay that's that's fine and I really enjoy watching Reguilon. Reguilon, for my money, is a proper competitor for Escudero at left back. Escudero's form dropped over the last season and a half. Fabulous uh, flying left winger that he is. And in general, um, those who have departed Sevilla have not been replaced by footballers of enough wit and intelligence and creativity. De Jong works his butt off, but isn't going to score the requisite amount of goals. Just isn't. Flat-footed, unsure, and the crowd are loving his blue-collar attitude to running after the ball or aerial play. But boy, when you lose 17 or 18 goals from Sarabia and 26, 27 goals from Vizan whoa, you've traded down so badly. Sevilla, I I think, while they're fit, and while they can cope with the Europa League challenge, can be a difficult rival for everybody, but certainly not title winners, which, frankly, leaves us with only two candidates, the the big Basque ones, in the Athletic are beautifully coached. Athletic have a really clear playing identity, and every single footballer, even those who are seeing relatively little game time, like Ibai, like Benyat, they've bought into it. They've completely bought into this. Therefore, um, Athletic have got a a chance, at least, of a top four position. Something which, in my time in Spain, they've managed once or twice. and, And I admire them. Where I worry about them winning the title is that on the road, they have tended to be short of goals. If there were injuries, let's just say there were injuries to Munain and Inaki, say for four weeks or Please, God, don't let it happen three months. They don't have the depth. I don't believe that they've got the, um, the, the... Their their Basque-only policy is such that they are making the absolute utmost out of a 13, 14-man squad right now. And I'm very, very keen to see Sensat, this, the midfielder um, who so much reminds me of Fabian Ruiz, um, gradually making his breakthrough. And Garetano has got things absolutely spot on. Title winners, no. And the outside bet, but I don't think the title winners, nonetheless, they excite me, is L'Areal. And I've been saying it since the start of the season, just before the Bass Derby on on television when asked who would finish fourth, I said La Real. They went out and played like drooping pansies in the Bass derby at San Mames. were beaten 2 0, going on 5 0. Didn't look ready, looked uncoordinated, and since then have been unstoppable. Um, getting Zubeldia out of deputising in central defence and back in the midfield, even though Iaramendi, who you'd have thought would have been one of the linchpin organisers, ball winners, hard men, frankly, in midfield. Is out and will be out for another couple of months. And it's a blip that they've just they've just hurdled over and kept on running. Kudos in my opinion to Emmanuel, uh because he he went for a 4-2-3-1 formation, which was daring at a time when I thought with Aramendi missing, he'd he'd take no risk and put Surututha into the midfield for work, for hustle, for hassle. And instead he went for, predominantly at least, Marino, who is a budding, fabulous footballer in midfield. Sorry Newcastle fans, sorry Dortmund fans, you missed a, a gem. Next to Zueldia, fullbacks are playing well. Zaldua and Monreal's made a difference. Having Jorenti back and form in the center of defense has made a difference. Moya is playing very well. L'Areal moved the ball from end to end on the pitch so beautifully. And then then the diamonds. Um Odegaard is playing the football of his life, it's hard, works his butt off to win the ball back in one on one challenges, superb. Distribution of the ball is velvet. Um it's a joy to watch this Real Madrid player on a two year loan to L'Areal. May he complete the two years. Um, fingers crossed. Porto fit, buzz bomb, so fast, so puppy after a tennis ball. Oyarzabal is a special footballer and rejected the chance to go to Athletic. That makes him iconic even at his young age. Debut given by David Moyes. Bigfoot named so for a size 13, 14 boot that he wears. Um, And alternating between Isaac, who will catch your attention. Isaac, the Swedish striker. Young, again, nicked from Dortmund. He's very good. And he is giving William Jose exactly the chasing for a starting place that the Brazilian needed. And therefore, William Jose has, has responded with goals. Do they win the title? I suppose stranger things have happened, but my answer is is no. But I do think Al can finish top four. And I actively would love to see one or both of the big Basque teams in the top four at the end of this season. Because for individual merits, I hugely respect what they're doing with their squad. Their stadiums are fabulous. If you can get a holiday weekend in Bilbao or San Sebastian, Anoeta. Dandy's fans, I was there with you when we played them. It's a million times better. It's a fabulous place now. Super city, San Sebastian. San Mames is, has to be in the top four or five stadiums in the world. Ab- soccer ones, anyway. Absolutely brilliant. Perfect, right in the middle of town, overlooking the city. River running by it. Brilliant pubs and clubs all around it. The stadium itself, atmospheric, wonderful. Get to the past country um, this season. I beseech you, and let's come back to the subject about whether one outside the big three can win the title. At the moment, it's, "Mm, nah, but God, wouldn't it be fun? Anyway, at this point, the uh, script reads, we're going to take a short break, but join us after for more answers to your questions. My way of approaching this would be like, we've got to stop, I'm going to have a glass of water, and possibly a mandarin tangerine something like that then i'm going to nick back and continue with me talking my brand of nonsense which some of you seem to quite enjoy now isn't that a better way a better way to say lunch you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry Okay, friends, I'm back. It's time for a question sent in by our old friend, Rehman Mohamed, who wants to know, in his words, do you agree it's a bit farcical that four Real Madrid players were voted into the FIFA FIFA Pro Team of the year given the comparatively poor season they had? Andy Robertson should have been the first name on the team sheet. Uh... Caveat to previous comment, I do realise that Azard was voted in based on his time at Chelsea, but three from Real Madrid is still too many. Um, the The, the cheapskate way of um, answering Real Madrid's questions would just be to say yes. But um, I try to get better value than that. So when ESPN... Does this go a step towards <laughs> answering your question? ESPN asked me... Asked all their uh, columnists to to pick your ultimate eleven, and and therefore the the concept was, if you got to pick any players from European footballer, from f- European football, who could go out and beat any other eleven, who would those guys be? So, Rehman in in my eleven, it started with Jan Oblak in goals. And I said, perhaps there are some whose passing or footballing skills exceed his, but Oblak possesses two magnificent assets. There are still very many days when teams evidently just think, we're not beating this guy, and he very rarely makes a mistake. Now, big, big competition from the keepers at Barca, City and Liverpool, in my opinion, but Oblak impresses me immensely. Then the two fullbacks, first Trent Alexander-Arnold, stronger offensively than defensively, but with experience inside him, His brain, pace, creativity, hunger and distribution win him my faith. I don't personally think that there's a debate, as much as people quote Koulibaly, I don't think there's a debate about house. Piquet, simply a brilliant footballer, possesses every skill needed to anchor this team, to play out from the back, to pass, to stay aerially competitive, but above all, he's fired by a rapacious hunger to keep winning, 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 winning. Next to him, obviously, Van Dijk um my point was only hitting his imperious dominant mature best over the last two years and there's much more to come as he gets used to enjoying giving his all winning and making opponents intimidated in both football and physical terms if you haven't listened to our van dyke interview at the beginning of this season i would he's interesting then recommend like you andy robertson in at left back tenacious team-oriented brutal work ethic tremendous athlete with a flood of goal assists and goal chances laid on to boot how could he not be in here Midfield is the most difficult area for me, but I chose um, Kevin De Bruyne. I said he sees passes several days before anybody else, but also possesses the kind of laser-guided passing to be able to use that extrasensory perception he's been blessed with. He's never played with these strikers, and if he did, we'd see a still more spectacular Kevin De Bruyne. Strikers to come. Asterisk. In the middle, Kante. Literally a phenomenon. It's not just the fact that he's physically capable of doing the work of three players, or that he's psychologically inclined to do so, or even that he's got a song about him to the tune of the old, oh, Champs-Élysées. No. This remarkable guy is also a shrewd, savvy footballer. Don't think that it's all just hard work and running, which separates Cante from the rest. He has a good football brain. Then Bernardo Silva. Elements of Iniesta, elements of... David Silva, David Silva, still to fully ri- realise his potential, but seems to be on an unstoppable upwards curve in terms of match management, inventiveness and wit. Now, I wrote this next paragraph before the FIFA awards, recommend, you have to believe me, but I just said Messi, colon, the best. Simple as that, unparalleled brain, skill still burning white hot, throbs with a determination to win, scores, makes, Opens opponents up, entertains. What else is there? Controversial, I guess, but my centre forward or my, my, my middle striker is Benzema. I said that he only just edges out Sadio Mane, but he does so because he's both a number nine and a number 10 and a left winger and a ball winner and a domestique if he's got a team leader like Messi. But he can also be a team leader if the occasion calls. Benzema is one of the most underrated footballers in modern times, but he's simply brilliant. Then I chose Mbappe. Breathtaking. Too talented for his age, but that's been true of Kylian for years. Powerful but elegant. Pacey but in full control of the ball. Positionally flexible but born with the innate goal-scoring skills of an outright number nine. Now, Reckman, those um, aren't real players. For example, Luka Modric has been exceptional. Luka Modric remains a footballing brain and a guy with skills that make him stand out above even the majority of the elite. But last season um, wasn't his season. There's no question about that. And if I have to be honest, much though Sergio Ramos would be in my squad and on several of his previous seasons form would have been in instead of the Van Dijk before he came to Liverpool, Piquet is the superior defender, the superior footballer. And Barcelona's goals against Colum has consistently over Piquet's time at Barcelona been smaller than that of Real Madrid. Not simply because the team in front of him was keeping the ball, but because defending is still an art done best without errors. And Ramos's package includes his brilliant character. He's an amazing athlete. That gets commented on too little. But he also makes more mistakes than PK. Finally, I recommend what I have to say is that I'm not certain how much the footballers who vote in this really genuinely watch football constantly. And sometimes I think the most popular names get a big show in this particular format. How about that? Now a couple of uh, related ones. This one's from Peter Gordon, who I think is getting in touch with us from Singapore. Peter, you can confirm or deny that fact, but I think I'm right. He says, um, my question is quite long and relates to the Scotland national team and why when player for player we have a better side than Northern Ireland, we don't seem to be able to achieve the same results as them. Every points to the fact that Michael O'Neill has been a long-term manager and Scotland change managers frequently. It was said recently that O'Neill did not win any of his first 16 games and that a Scotland manager would never be allowed such a bad run. I agree with that point, but I also think we are victims of our own player pool as we have too many players to choose from that no matter who we pick, everyone always has a view that the guys not picked would have made the team better. What's the chances of Steve Clark being allowed to pick a settled side and sticking with it over a few games to build a system that could get us the success we all seek? Peter, for what my opinion's worth, one of the things I've learned during i don't know how many years it is now 30 years i think writing commentating about football certainly since about 87 89 until now and on some of those occasions speaking to people whose brains and talents i i hugely respect the first way the only way to answer this is that it's about talent so can I pick up the point that you say we've got too much, too many players in the player pool? I, I, I can't agree. I think that during um, my lifetime, we had um, opportunities to pick a peak form: Graham Souness and Willie Miller and Hansen and Goff and Dalgleish and More Johnson and. Billy Bremner, Joe Jordan, you know, I go through the, the footballers I've seen, but if you think about the mercurial talents that we had when each manager had a vast range of choices and when I would attend Hamden and vast sections of the crowd would either be cold or indeed boo the Anglo-Scots. I, I Peter, I don't know what the age difference between you and me is, but we as Scotland fans, we're always, always unhappy about something. Even when we're deliriously happy and we think we're going to win the World Cup, there is always something which pisses us off. And you reckon it's that at the moment, whoever's left out, inverted commas, would have been a better player than those who were picked. I've lived through times when, you know, we could pick an 11, which was utterly, completely elite. Um, times when Steve Archibald was winning the Spanish title and you know international trophies with the Spurs. Johnny Robertson uh, winning two consecutive European Cups with Nottingham Forest. How many caps did he get? Um, William Miller didn't get enough caps. The, the list goes on and on and on and on. Eddie Gray, bloody hell. People, Celtic fans will say, you know, how many caps did, did Billy McNeil get? So, we have always had Um, this grass is greener argument in my lifetime. I don't think we have enough talent, short and simple. I think that that is the major problem beyond anything else. And, And I mean that to be a strong statement because I don't think our governing bodies are well run. I don't believe in the vision of the men at the top. I do believe that there's a lot going on at grassroots level. I do believe that Scott Gemmell's work, um, for example, is pretty exemplary. I can only say I'm hopeful about the attitudes to training and touches on the ball and teaching about diet and rest and um, football intelligence, positional play. I, I think these things are beginning to emerge, I do. But at the senior level, I'm, I'm not massively impressed with how we run our organisations, And therefore, would I, in principle, like you, hope that if Stevie Clark is given long enough and that if he's given understanding, there's a possibility that he can impose his tactical and technical ideas on a group of players. Yeah, I do wish that. I think you've explained why Michael O'Neill has such an opportunity because he was given time. But I think he is a very good coach. Um, he's been a guest in this series. I hope you listen to him. I would have him as Aberdeen manager uh, tomorrow. If I were Scotland, I'd have tried to recruit him. I think he is not a panacea, instant recipe for success simply because he's a Guardiola-esque genius. But I think his talent is there. His communicative skills are there. I think that he's a lateral thinker. I um, think he inspires men. And I think at international level, While you absolutely need to have a a very good tactical plan, um, a clear identity, you need to scout your opponents well, you get to see the players for a very short space of time. The majority of them are extremely well paid. You need to convince them. The two things that I think um, are are not contrary to your point at all, Peter, about a man given time and the debate outside the Scotland national team. One, talent. It's always, always about talent. Two, conviction. As much as you'd like um, maybe less debate around the manager, less chopping and changing with managers, I agree. But the the players were pretty distraught when Strachan left. The players were behind him, they understood him, they liked working with him. It's vital that international footballers are enthused and convinced by their manager. And therefore, if Stevie Clark can achieve this, if he can, and one or two more talents emerge... Then maybe what we're going to get um, is the type of team you yearn for. Maybe the brand of football that I think we probably all yearn for. And Peter, as far as Gump would say, that's all I have to say about that. The last one um, for the moment, as I pointed out, has a a slightly similar theme. And I like it, partly because it comes uh, from... Uh, a particular friend of our efforts here at the big interview. It's Robert McIntosh, a big dandy. Mm. And Robert says, "General question, Graham. We hear a lot from new managers about bracket, uh, not brackets, inverted commas, the project. Which managers strike you as managing the balance between short-term results and long-term plans?" It's a, it's a, it's a really good question because. Uh, I, I don't like, as you would have gathered, and I, I bet, Robert, you don't like either, the way in which having a project and using the word project is mocked by footballers and coaches who think in, in far more antediluvian terms, this isn't vocabulary we used in my day, therefore it's poncy and it's stupid. No, a project, to, to my way of thinking, is the right idea, basically. Even if you've got a project at a football club, even one that I love, for example, Aberdeen, Let, let's say there's a project and I disagree with it. I don't like it. At least there is a project. There's coherence. So the fans or the media or individual workers at the club can say, Well, you know, this isn't my my vision, my dream. But the fact that there is a vision, that the fact that there is a plan and a strategy is such a a a boon because across my time in in reporting about football or analysing it. It's really hard to think of how many times we've come across a proper project. And worse still, how many clubs think that it is better to be short-termist, that it is better to say it's nothing but buying talent. That's the only thing. I I, I think that's reprehensible. Let's ignore the obvious and say Pep Guardiola, because that would be repetitive of things that on the... Big interview Q and A we've spoken about so many times. So let's, for example, uh, Robert sees on Pochettino. Spurs have a plan. Spurs have a project, and he embodies what you're talking about—that ability to bridge short-term results. Which is like everybody. It doesn't matter if it's the accountants, the fans, the media, the players. It, It really doesn't matter. Everybody wants to be winning Saturday, Tuesday. Sunday, Wednesday. Of course they do. So short-term results is something that every manager, every coach has to bring into the equation. But at Spurs, I think what's been really important is that Pochettino, and this is my broad answer, is embedded in when when the project is there, it's not the manager who brings it. Now, in some instances, very rare instances, Ferguson at United Shankly originally at Liverpool when I guess Liverpool were probably a second division team when he took over in the I'm going to say 50s maybe early 60s sorry Liverpool fans for not um, me researching that but it's just coming to my mind as an example um Clough for example at Forest certainly Fergie at Aberdeen and Fergie at Manchester no no I take that back Fergie at Um, Aberdeen brought the personality and the skills, the project was there. Um, And at United, the project was brought by Ferguson, no question whatsoever. But it's rare that it's not, that if a manager succeeds in what you could call a project, it's really rare that it's not originally, the bedrock isn't the club, the owners, the directors, the football director, whatever it might be. And in Pochettino's case, as talented as he is, The bedrock project has been there under Levy's um, whip hand. He has driven the the coaching horses and Pochettino was recruited with great skill because at a relatively short spell of time at Southampton, good though he looked, for Levy to be so sure and to be right that Pochettino could complete the project and bridge the short-term need for results which then brought the medium-term need for Spurs to be consistently qualifying for the Champions League and going as far as possible um, at a time when the long-term needs were funding the stadium, which is world-class, and the training ground, which is world-class. It was vital that the the cogency between short-term, medium-term and long-term was... um, a balance of responsibility that Pochettino could handle. And he has. So uh, he stands out as the type of example, to answer your question, Robert, but w- without Levy's brilliance, and that has to be the, albeit that he is frustrating, albeit that I think he's a, l- a little bit blinkered uh, about how to now take the big final step on the football side and uh, because because f- bookkeeping and, and, and winning arguments are so important to him. But nonetheless, Poch is the is the quick, non-pep answer to your question, but he has to be within a context. My other answer would be that there's a guy who, who fits your criteria, although he's not at a club right now where projects are the thing. But um, Manuel Peregrini at Villarreal showed that with a visionary board, a, a small number board, Father, son, director of football, the the multi multi millionaire, uh, um, his son, and Yanesa, the football director, Pellegrini showed that he could bring them um, results that he could get closer and closer to top clubs in Spain, that he could help them help guide them as the types of players that would. Play a specific brand of football over and over again, and he could take them to the, you know, the the, the portals, the gate of the Champions League final, which he did back in um, 2006 in the semi-final against Arsenal. That was the perfect example again of the kind of man you're asking about, Robert. But again, embedded in the right structure with the right people and a shared goal. I don't think what you're asking about is possible via one man anymore it takes it takes a huge amount of effort and brain to mount a project and the way in which I talked about Ferguson coming into United or Clough or Shankly Reavy too at Leeds that one man driven project that the biggest clubs in in European football now, I don't think it's possible. I think it needs to be the reverse, whereby the project is structured by owners or a group of directors who are visionary, who are energetic, who are young, who can identify their ideology of how the club should be run, what the football should look like, how the academy should be. And then the manager is brought in as an adjunct to that, as a deliverer rather than the visionary himself, in, in my opinion. Visionary about his football, his brand of football, yes, but a project is bigger than that and that's why I, I think that given the amount of money involved, the amount of scrutiny involved, the amount of energy and time needed to be devoted to something called a project, it's, it's not something that one man brings anymore. He needs to be perhaps the final element, better still if you can build him in from the start and keep him, but so difficult is the thing that you are asking about, Robert, that it's now about finding the right element, the the last piece of the ticking Swiss watch. Anyway, um, I'm told that that sharp, shrill sound was the full-time whistle. Thank you all of you for being there. Thank you all of you for your questions. Um, please send more in. Part two, we've got pretty much a full agenda for. Part two we will be with you soon. Um, it's been a pleasure. Hope you're all well. Love to you.